0: Well, good morning again to everyone. I'm grateful we are in this generation because I remember and some of you well remember churches with the windows open, the ceiling fans going, and those little, in my area, it was little hand fans some Bowes Mitchell Funeral Home and still sweat rolling off of you and your backside was wet. and I spent most of yesterday in my car. I went over to my where I was, my first pastor, First Baptist Church of Kemp, Texas. And a precious couple in that church, Pete and C. Eldridge, in fact, he was a deacon and on the pastor's church committee when I went there. Uh, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And so I went there and uh, what a great time of fellowship. Many have passed. Many remain, and so I saw a lot of folks and met some new folks, too. They got a great pastor there, and they're doing a a great work, and grateful to be there. I noticed in my car, it said 105 degrees. I would not have gone, Pastor, if I had not had air conditioning. I would have stayed at home. But I remember those days, we never had air conditioning anywhere. You know, so it was cooler in the house than it was out there in the yard, but that was not much different. So. Well, First John chapter 2, as we continue along in John's first epistle, and today we're going to focus on verse 20 through 27, but I'm going to read all the way through verse 29, and we'll read that in a moment. If you don't have your Bible with you today, this is going to be on page 1057 in the Pew Bible. And I'll give you another couple of pages later on as we move over into Isaiah and then into Luke. But our focus is going to be on verses 20 through 27. But for a little bit of review, last Sunday we uh, examined the prayer of Jabez. as in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And we discerned that we could use the prayer of Jabez as a model for our own praying. With success, with success, because Jabez prayed that prayer, and we know what he prayed because it's recorded in the Word of God. And the Scripture says there, and the Lord answered his prayer. So good deal. Now the key factor, of course, is this: that the Lord saw in Jabez's heart what was pleasing unto Him. First John chapter four fifteen, I think it is, tells us if we pray according to His will, we know that he hears us and we have the petitions we ask. So Jabez qualified and God answered that prayer. So if the Lord sees in our hearts what he saw in Jabez's heart, we can pray. use his, his model as a model for our own praying. That doesn't mean every time we pray, but certainly it's an effective way that we can. And specifically, though, praying for ourselves, praying for others, I pointed it out it's a prayer that we can pray for our church. We can pray for our church family now going through that uh, as we go through this intersection in the ministry of our church life with the retirement of our beloved Pastor Dan, and so here we are moving along and wanting to stay in the very center of God's will. If we all pray together, we can traverse this intersection, stay right in the center of God's will, and go on down the highway of grace, and allow Him to lead us to his, the next pastor for this church, etc., you know, the will of God is like a two-lane road, and they're all over this country out here, right, these little two-lane roads, and there's a stripe right down the middle. Let that little road there remind you of the will of God. It's, you know, so wide, but that stripe down the middle represents the will of God, being in the will of God. and you want to stay out of the ditches because the ditches are filled with devils. Okay? Stay in the will of God. How do we do that? We pray according to his will, using that prayer guide. The men in the back have some additional copies. If you did not get a copy last week of that prayer guide or you want an extra copy, they got them. Just raise your mitten and they'll place one of those in your hand. I've said it before. I'll say it again. No church ministry ever rises above knee level. Never rises above knee level. It has to be by prayer and the word. The ministry of the word, the reading of the word ourselves, and in our teaching and preaching, and prayer. It's got to be carried on the wings of prayer, and we do that. We accomplish that on our knees before the throne of grace. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 through 27. You have an unction from the Father, from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. It's in italics, that last bit. It wasn't in the original Greek text, but it's a... Uh, The translator there, he did what I would probably have done because I'd have said it there too. You can't have the Father while you deny the Son. You can't deny the Son and access the Father. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. These things I have written unto you concerning them which try to seduce you. But the the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. You need not that any man teach you, but as that same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. And now, little children, bide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we love your word. Father, I don't believe, I know certainly this myrtle is not up to the task to preach and teach your holy word as Jesus did when he walked the planet. Impossible. But with your anointing and by your grace, and you, Father, wear me with like a garment with your spirit, myself and other puppeteers around, we can do it in a way, I believe, by your grace that will bring glory and honor and praise unto you and instruction in righteousness and edification, growth and grace to us as we sit at your feet through the ministry of your blessed word. Lord, wear me like a garment for your pleasure. Have thy way in this place, this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, John states his purpose again in that verse there. Verse 26, skipping down a little bit. These things have I written unto you, Concerning them that seduce you. We're going to step down in the text a little bit and pick up that verse 26 instead of beginning verse 20. I'm writing these things to you, said John, concerning those which were trying to seduce you. That word seduce you is a Greek word, plenao, P-L-E-N-A-O. And it means to lead astray, to cause a person to believe an untruth. And these people would seek to have followers after themselves perpetrating their form of truth and get followers after them. What are those false doctrines about? They were attacked on the person of Christ. They were false doctrines about Him and His coming, and thus the purpose of His coming. These particular seducers then, in that day, and they're still around, were heretics, of course, but they were Gnostics. They claimed to have a superior esoteric knowledge, over and above that of the apostles and the then written word. They knew more. They had an enlightenment above and beyond, which is superior. So they're going around to try to lead others through what they knew that the others that were leading them did not know. So they could become enlightened as well. I don't know that's you, but I had a personal encounter with a person like this. This fellow told me, well. You know, you're preaching the wrong gospel. I said, Hello? <laughs> he said, I, I've been allowed to see behind the veil. And it's not like you think it is. And it's not like that which you preach says it is. It makes you want to slug somebody in Jesus' name, you know. But you know what? He was right. He was right. He was behind the veil, looking behind the veil. And the veil were all the eyes of his soul because he couldn't see the truth of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. I guess he's still lost. I don't know. But he's not here, thank God, in this church. who want to deal with that. Well, these Gnostic heretics, there were some variations you know, it's kind of like a high-in 57 deal. But all of them will dovetail down, dovetail down to two basic things, really or really one, kind of a little bit there, but there's strict dualism. Things that are spiritual or spiritual, things that are matter or matter, matter is evil, spiritual is not, they cannot be mixed, will never be mixed. It couldn't be the will of God for them to be mixed. And so there could be no such thing as the virgin birth, which is a denial of Christ the Lord coming through the virgin's womb. Could not be. Oh, the Spirit came on him, a man, afterwards for a certain ministry of time and left. So what they would be saying, hear me, is this man, Jesus, son of the carpenter, was a very good man. And the Holy Spirit of God came on him for a ministry and then left. What are they saying? Well, Jesus was anointed as a man for a while at his baptism, and then the Spirit left before the crucifixion. Of course, because couldn't kill the Spirit of God. They deny the virgin birth, which is the denial of the full humanity of Christ Jesus, the God-man, which is the denial of the point of the crucifixion as a perfect sacrifice for the sacrifice of sin who, for those who weren't perfect, men, women, boys, and girls. To put it simply, with as much respect as I can muster, they were deluded devils, the minions of the devil, to deceive but they were appearing as angels of light. And I've met some very charismatic folks that were of other persuasions. <laughs> oh, nice people. Nice people. But to combat that, to combat all that, and that's a time to review because we skipped a Sunday on there. To combat all that, here the Apostle John to get rid of doubts and confusion that they may have caused these Gnostic infidels. He's telling them what they possess. He's telling us what we possess. And the Gnostics did not possess what John says we possess. We have it. They didn't. They said, we got it. You don't. But the truth is, we have and they don't. Are are we together and all of that? So he writes them and us to assure us that this we have, that they did not, is a dividing line and the eternal difference as long as it remains that they do have it not. We could go on and on about, folks. It's it's frustrating because some people that you know and some people I know are off on these other things, these doctrinal issues that deny Christ. And that's a he's the only hope of glory for them. 1 John 2.20, back to the first verse. There's the, div- the difference is this the presence of the anointing. You have a, an unction, that verse says, from the Holy One. That's an unction from God the Father. And you know all things. Have an unction. The word have is echo, it's a present tense verb. It means have it and continue to have it. No cessation. This is what you have. Unction is the word chrismat, noun. So we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ presently have an unction from God the Father and we continue to have that unction from God the Father throughout eternity. It never leaves us. Now if you drop down to verse 27, the word says there, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Now the interesting thing about that word anointing and the word unction back up in verse 20, they're, they're the, from the same exact Greek word root. "chrisma." we got an unction, we have an anointing. Same thing. It's from the Father. And that verse says, we, which we have received, and that word received is lembano. It's an aorist active verb. And what does that mean? It's an action that happened in the past and continues in effect All the way. If you got your finger cut off when you're a four, when you're 44, you're still missing one finger. It's an act that continues on. We have received it in the past, and it continues on throughout eternity in that same state or condition, that anointing upon us. We continue to have it. Now, in the Old Testament, we see anointing of priests and kings and even vessels that were going to be used in temple worship that anointing was a pouring on of oil, touching them, for a specific purpose, okay? For a time frame, it might have been just life or until they were deposed, or whatever happened or their, their session was over in that particular role, but it was an external <clears throat> anointing and it was to dedicate that person or object to a particular service. To identify to all who saw that, That this has been separated unto God for his service. This person has been separated unto God for his service. That's the same thing the Greek word is translated holy. Be ye holy as I'm holy. What is holy? Hagios. Hagios means separated unto God. That's what it is. So this vessel has been anointed to be used in the temple. Separated unto God. This person has been anointed to be king of Israel. Separated unto God. And so it was recognized is that sort of dedication, anointing poured on their heads? However, that external anointing that they received for service was indicative of and typified the anointing that you and I have. We have an anointing from God. They were anointed by a specific individual. A prophet may have anointed whoever. But God has anointed us. Why? For service. For service. Should we say, well, you know, praise God I'm anointed, so that keeps me from going to hell. If you think you were anointed just to keep you out of hell, you have misunderstood the message of the Scripture. That's not it. Let's compare those. though, the Old Testament anointing and the New Testament anointing. Their anointing was external. Ours is internal. Their anointing was visible. And it was a witness to all their peers that they had been set aside for service to God. Our anointing is invisible, but... By the design of the Father, it is to become visible as folks watch us live out our lives as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our anointing, which is within and invisible, is to be visible by the way we live our lives. As new creations in Christ Jesus, called into discipleship, living for him in this life during our appointed days on this planet. Uh, turn over to Isaiah chapter sixty-one. That's on six forty-three of the few Bibles. If you didn't bring yours, page six forty-three. This is a prophetic scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ and the anointing He had. Okay, that He would have when He came. This is a prophecy about Him. Isaiah sixty-one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord, meaning God, hath anointed me. Same thing, right? God anoints us, anointed him. At Jesus, our roles would be different in some cases. He's anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to them who are bound. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance. Now, when you read that verse, you really think about to preach, to teach, to help, to minister. Our anointing from the Father is not really vastly different from that, is it? But we have gifts from the Holy Spirit, various gifts to minister in the body of Christ and beyond. But look carefully at verse 2. Notice the conjunction and, in verse 2, between the acceptable year and the day of vengeance. That conjunction and, A-N-D, right there. Put your finger on that. If you look to the left, you see the acceptable year. If you look to the right, you see the day of vengeance. There's a division right there between the church age, which we're in, the day of grace, and the coming age, end of the church age, tribulation, etc. I turn over to Luke chapter 4. It's on page 879. Luke chapter 4. We'll read verses 18 and 19. This is one of those cases, as is typical throughout the New Testament, where the Old Testament is is referenced quoted distinctly and exactly or referred to and this is one of those cases where it's referred to not exactly as it was in Isaiah but this right this verse right here this is a record of Jesus speaking in the synagogue as was his custom on the sabbath and as the way that custom was a person they would have an order of service, and then a certain one would stand and he'd be handed the scroll, and he would read from that scroll and then be seated. And then after he was seated, others could ask him, the one who read, about what he read, or they could discuss it as a family there within the synagogue. "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me "'because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor.'" He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to them which are bruised. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and sat down. Right there. Closed the book. And he sat down. What did he do? He stopped at the comma. However, there's no comma there because the Greek does not have punctuation. Or the Hebrew in the the skull would not have a comma. Translators added that to facilitate our reading. But he stopped at the comma. Dr. Harry Ironsides was really a great Bible scholar and commentator years past now. His expository notes on Isaiah, published in 1952, stated it very well. He said, then Jesus stopped at at what we would call a comma. He put the whole dispensation in which you and I live inside that comma. It is the acceptable year of the Lord still. We've not moved one one iota beyond, beyond the point where he closed the book. Why did he stop there? Because the rest of the sentence would carry us on into the day of, after this present age has come to an end. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Dr. Einstein continues. Speaking metaphorically, he says, when he comes again, he would open the scroll once more Read the rest of the passage, and it will be fulfilled to the letter. We're in the church age. The day is the accepted time. Paul quoted that, Isaiah 48, verse 8, in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. He said, For he saith, I have heard thee in an accepted time, and the day of salvation secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's where we are. This is the, the church age, as it's referred to, but it's the, the day of salvation. It is the accepted time to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And whoever you are, maybe in this auditorium or in an internet audience, it matters not. If you've never been saved, today may be your day of grace to come to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Then you wouldn't be on the outside looking in like the Gnostics. You'd be on the inside understanding the Word of God. Because natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. It takes that new birth, that new birth. That's the only way. So, back to our text here. We have an anointing as believers... And that anointing continues with us all the way home to glory. Well, we saw a few Sundays ago we can grieve and quench <laughs> you know, of the Holy Spirit in us and all of that, but we you can't run him off. <laughs> That's the one I guess if you want to elect a God, you can't hide from him either. He's going to find you sooner or later. You're going to come to Jesus. Woo, I love that. That's my favorite thought today, right now at this particular moment. <laughs> you can't hide from him. He's going to come to you. He's going to draw you. The person of the anointing. Well, first of all, it's not an it. You may have heard the Holy Spirit referred to as an it. Have you got it? It's not an it. The person. Jesus said, John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. As I mentioned a few Sundays ago, that word comforter can also be translated counselor. I'll send you another. He will send you another comforter or a counselor that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive because it is Cannot does not see him, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The spirit of truth in us. world can't receive him because it sees him not. And it wouldn't if it could. Is left up to natural man's ability. Every time I read this verse, though, the world can't see him. It reminds me of this classmate that I had my first and second year at Crystal College. And this guy is a big fella, red faced guy. He wasn't saved until he was about 40 years of age. He was a used car salesman in Memphis, Tennessee, and apparently one rowdy rascal, you know, when he was converted. And his wife, uh, you know, she had her struggles with him through the years, but she was all of a sudden what pleasant pleased what she wound up with because, and she was still lost. But when this guy was saved, it was a real deal. And the witness of the guy on the streets was one that resulted in him coming to faith in Christ, because he was one of the elect. But it was a real deal. And this old boy started witnessing to everybody everywhere he went on the street corners. And it didn't make any difference. He was telling everybody about Jesus. Big old guy, you know, and, and he was a classmate. He was a character. And there in Crystal College, they had encounter missions, which meant you got to have a credit per semester. And you had to go on the streets in downtown Dallas and preach and teach the gospel and witness to people. And that was very intimidating to me to begin with. It came to really be fun. I liked it. But it was intimidating to me because I'd walked up and down those streets in a three-piece business suit carrying a briefcase calling on those bankers. And here I am down here as a street preacher. Oh, that was intimidating to my flesh. Praise God it was. But we go down to the bus stops and hang out there. Typically there was a newspaper rack right there and a bus stop. We had a new congregation there every 15 minutes. We had some guys down there. We had four guys that could sing like canaries. Boy, they were good. We call, they called themselves the Big Strings Four, and they would sing over there, hanging out by the rack, paper rack. So we were passing out tracts and preaching, and this old boy that I'm telling you about, preaching on the corner, just going to it, and some people would try to make him, give him a wide berth, and others would just stop and listen to it. But going back His wife thought he had gone crazy. Something mentally or emotionally or physically wrong with him. And she insisted that he have a complete physical, everything they offered. And he conceded. He'd do that. He needed one anyway. His kind of attention tendency to be hypertensive. And he summed it up this way. He said, you know, they couldn't find anything wrong with me because the Holy Spirit didn't show up on the test and the x-rays. And that's the truth. The world can't see it unless we obey the Lord and walk in Him, and then they see Him through us. I guess a question to ask all of ourselves as we look in the mirror of the Scriptures, Lord, am I showing up for Thee? Are people seeing You through me in my life? That's the intent of God. For his disciples. The person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 of John 14. John 14, 18. The Lord said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The word comfortless is our word orphanos. It's where we get the word orphan. I won't leave you abandoned. I will come to you. That's a promise of the Lord Jesus. And there were two ways that the Lord fulfilled that commitment to His disciples that were listening to Him on that day. I won't leave you alone. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The first off, He came to them after His resurrection and turned their grief into joy. And that was a temporary thing because then there was the second, the return to the Father, the ascension. But then, after his ascension he came to them just like he came come to you and i in the person of the holy spirit which replaced his physical presence with them and you and i have never experienced his physical presence but we can experience and hopefully are experiencing his presence as much as they did post-ascension by the Holy Spirit in us. 1420. This is after the ascension. When he said he'd still be with them. He spoke, i speaking after his ascension, before his ascension, but after. At that day, after my ascension, you shall know that I am in my Father and ye are in me, and I am in you. That was the Lord's word prior to the ascension, after the resurrection. When I'm gone, I'll be here, and I will be in you, and you in me. And it was, the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father sent by the Father in Jesus' name. That means specifically in His place. In His place and for Him. And what's the good news about that is this. We don't have to go to Jerusalem or anywhere else to see Jesus, to be with Jesus. And that wouldn't work to accomplish the mission that he purposed to, commi- to, uh, to, to perform because the space and time limitations were on him like it isn't on you. You can't be in two places at one time when you're a man, even the God-man, you see. He walked everywhere he went, but now he can be everywhere, no space or time limitations upon him. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. The psalmist says, Where shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me. And thy right hand shall hold me. I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. That verse right there tells us about the omnipresence and the omniscience of the Holy Spirit of God. Right there. Omnipresent everywhere. Omniscience knowing all the details. The Holy Spirit of God is everywhere, of course. The Holy Spirit of God can be omnipresent and everywhere, but not everywhere. The Holy Spirit of God can be omnipresent everywhere, but that doesn't mean everywhere. You know why I'm saying it that way? I wanted to get your attention. You think I've gone off the track here. But the Holy Spirit of God is not in the spirit of the devil. And the Holy Spirit of God is not in every human soul. Not there. Omnipresent, but not in every human soul. Well, who are the souls He's in? Those of the Father's elective choice. Those of the Father's elective choice are the vessels of the Holy Spirit of God or if they've yet to be saved, they're going to be vessels of the Holy Spirit of God and no one outside of the Father's choice and election is going to ever possess the Holy Spirit of God within. Holy Spirit draws those the Father has elected. He draws them. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus said in John six forty four, No man can come to me, and you can't go to him unless you come to me, except the Father which has sent me draw him. The work of the Holy Spirit, the power of Almighty God, coming after the elect one by one by one and bringing them one by one by one, all of them to faith in Christ Jesus, into the family of God. Arthur Pink <laughs> is. Exposition of the Gospel of John said it very well. He said, The unregenerate soul is so depraved that with an unchanged heart and mind, he will never come to Christ. Disabled, can't do it. And the change which is absolutely essential is one which God alone can produce. It is therefore by divine drawing that anyone comes to Christ. What is this drawing? He says. It is the power of the Holy Spirit overcoming the self righteousness of the sinner and convicting him or her of their lost condition. Is the Holy Spirit awakening within him a sense of need? Is the power of the Holy Spirit overcoming the pride of the natural man so that he is ready to come to Christ as an empty handed beggar? It is the Holy Spirit creating within him a hunger for the bread of life. You ever had that hunger? Those of us here, those in the internet audience, have you ever had that hunger where you came to a point, you had a hunger in your soul, and that hunger could only be satisfied with the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the spirit of Almighty God drawing you to him. Man, woman, boy, girl, making a difference what age. That was the work of God alone drawing you and bringing you along to the point through the ministry of the word, teaching, preaching, here, there, radio, whatever, working on you and drawing you and you came to a point, I want to be saved. Sometimes it happens real quick. That Philippian jailer got his eyes full and he said, what do I have to do to be safe for Pete's sake? Tell me what I got to do to be safe. I wish it was that quick all the time. I got some people I've been talking to for decades. May not be one of the elect, but, you know, I'm kind of bullet-headed. I just never give up hope while there's still breathing, you know. I went by a house yesterday in Kemp, Texas, Old home, very well maintained, was through the years. I knew the gentleman and his wife. uh, She was in the church some, and he was not. Nice man, very well-to-do in the community. And I would go to the home and see them occasionally. He was always very gracious to me. Tolerated the local pastor, you know, I guess. But then he got cancer. And he was sick. And he was going to die. And he knew it. I went to the hospital, walked in the room, and I walked up to his bed. I said, Hey, I called him by name. How are you doing? He you know what he said? He looked at me, he said, I'm a sinner, shouted it, startled me. I said, Well, oh, I got him now. I didn't. I didn't. He might have been saved. I don't know. But I said, we got to talk, and we got to talk now. And I shared the gospel again, which I'd done before. He, he would not pray. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you, but you're going to have to get that job done for yourself, and you're a sick man. You need to think about this. And I prayed with him. Left. Heartbreaking. Then there's that baptizing ministry of those given to Jesus. For one by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Gentiles. By the way, we talk about those given to Jesus. When were you, if you belong to Jesus today, when were you given to Jesus? When were you given to Jesus? Ephesians 1, don't you love that first chapter, verses 4 through 6? According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. According as God has chosen us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Now listen to me. If you think God can't pull off what he decided before the foundation of the earth, you don't understand anything about God in the first place. He chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. That we should be holy without blame before him, before God the Father. In love he's predestinated us into the adoption of children unto himself by Jesus Christ. To the praise of his glory. We made accepted into beloved. That's why when the father sent his son to die for us, Jesus knew who he was dying for. And that's why some came to Christ while he was on earth. And then when he ascended back to heaven, the father sent his son. First, he sent his son to die for us. Then He calls the Son back to glory in the ascension, and then He sends His Spirit to draw us unto Himself. You have loved ones, and I have loved ones that you want to be saved. They're not saved. Their lifestyle shows it. They may think about it some, but they haven't ever come to faith in Christ. You know something? This is to be our comfort. Because if they're elect of God, they're going to come. And if you think the Holy Spirit can't keep up with the elect, (laughs) he knows where they are. He knew where you were. He brought you to Christ. He knows where they are. And if they're elect of God, they're going to come to Jesus I'm looking forward to glory, but I'll tell you, some days I'm thinking, Lord, I'd like to hang around long enough to see that person saved and that person saved and that person saved. But it's in His hands. He's our teacher and reminder. When the Comforter has come, the Counselor, the Father's going to send Him, He's going to teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever I've said to you, from the beginning. That's what he, the beginning in this context, remember, is back to the days... The gospel days, the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry, all of that coming forward, the scriptures and the teaching and so forth about that since then. This is probably written in 1895. So there's some scriptures then, and what they had from the beginning concerning that. He's going to bring to remembrance all of that to you and teach you to keep you on the right track. And He empowers us for service. Going to receive power after the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, after you've been at this a long time, you've got a lot of memories. <laughs> one of the guys, my pastors, one well, of my second or so pastors said, I don't want you ever leave here because I'll wind up being a sermon illustration in your next church. <laughs> but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. I remember a deacon in my first church. He'd always pray. Lord, help us to be a better witness for Thee. And I could not get that guy to come go visitation at all. He wasn't about to do that. Lord, help me to be a better witness while I'm sitting. Well, I'm not trying to be unkind. i Love the old boy. While I'm sitting on the couch, make me a better witness or something. I don't know. But he's, the Holy Spirit is to empower us. He's within us by the appointment of God, to empower us, to equip us, to enable us to be witnesses unto Him who has saved us by His grace. And this is the promise, verse 25, eternal life. (laughs) This is not all there is. There's eternal life. In the beginning, you know, I read those verses. and Boy, it's great eternal life. I got eternal life now and I'll be in heaven someday. But now that I have some more people on the other side, am I grateful for eternal life? I'm grateful for eternal life. So John made it clear. When you see what we got, which they had not. Isn't it ludicrous? How, does, how they, the deceived ones, were trying to delude us with their confusion. And notice the scripture says, he, I will bring to remembrance. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all I have taught you. He will teach you and bring to remembrance. You know something? Those believers to whom John was writing... Weren't there, probably not any of them maybe, when Jesus walked the earth. They had the scriptures. They had the teaching of Paul. They had the teaching of John. So when the Lord says he's going to bring to remembrance, what's he going to bring to remembrance? This. And you know something the Holy Spirit doesn't do? it. I'm about to tell you God's business, how he does things. He does what he wants to, when he wants to, where he wants to. But I would suggest to you this. The Holy Spirit is not going to come to you and say, Look, Charlie, nobody here named Charlie, right? Okay. Charlie, I know you're busy. I mean, you got your profession, you're so busy in your career, and then you're a part of the, the Kiwanis and the the Lions Club and the Dr. you know, and, and then you're giving you time over here. And of course, then you're a hobbyist. You know, you've got to have some rest and you got the big fishing boat and well, whatever it is. Okay. I know you're busy, so I'm just gonna run along beside of you and teach you the word of God as you run. I don't believe the Holy Spirit does that. I don't believe the Holy Spirit does that for anyone. So if you will be reminded of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to listen to him. This is it. This is the record God has given us of his son from Genesis to the maps. It's there. He's a, As Christine and I were talking about this morning, he's in every book of the Bible. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. And we can know what he said, what he did and what he said, and we can know it as much as any Christian then and now because we treasure, we treasure this book. Well, when I first was preaching, and particularly when I was assigned preach preaching class, I thought, good grief, how am I ever going to find enough to save to speak that long? Because I had an allotted time. And Now, I confess to you, and I get going, I never want to shut up. One closing thought. We've been talking about the Gnostics and their false doctrine. Do you realize there are most likely some people out there that put you and I in the same class as the Gnostics, deluded? Because we are not Arminian. We believe in election. They don't. And they consider that they have an alignment that we do not have. A fellow that was in one of my pastorates for a long time, I preached a series on what we believe about divine healing. I was preaching, of course, my Calvinistic doctrine. He came to me a while, and oh, and we were singing the hymns we sing here. He came to me and he said, you know, Brother Ray, First of all, I want to talk to you about the music. He says, you know, there's some choruses and things and other stuff that we could be singing that are more popular now. We sang in the book. He said, another thing is, I believe God wants to heal everyone. I said, well, why doesn't he? And we talked about that for a while. This is a half a day meeting. And then he said, on top of that, I believe God wants to save everyone. I don't believe in that election stuff. And I said, well, why doesn't God save everyone? And you know where we got in that conversation? Nowhere. He left the church. And I bid him Godspeed. <laughs> I said, brother, I'm sorry. He just pleaded me. Brother Ray, I want you to change. You can't change. We got the truth. And when the Gnostics come knocking on our doors, we answer the door with truth. But to answer the door with truth, we got to know the truth. And I challenge you in the name of Jesus to dig in because the times are getting thick and devils are tickering roof tiles out right now. You see it on the news. Dig in. Saturate your souls with the truth of God. Father, there's just no one like you and no one like your word. No one got a word like your word. Lord, we can go on and on and on. We know that we're just by your mercy and grace have received mercy and grace. And that you chose us in Him out of nothing in ourselves but your own holy pleasure. It's humbling, Father, humbling. But we're grateful, Master, that we've been redeemed by your choice. And I pray, Father, that as much as any group of your children, anywhere, ever, in any generation, we'd be manifesting you on a daily basis everywhere, and your anointing within us would be visible everywhere about us. in Jesus name. I pray. Amen.